Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. And um, if I need to switch, can you hear? Can you hear me through the speakers? One, two, eight, five. Houston, we have a problem. One, two, eight, five, nine. I never learned to count correctly. You got me? Okay, awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> Just a little disclaimer this morning. Um, there we go. We have made contact with the Apollo 13. Just a little disclaimer this morning. For some reason, the Musinex that I've been taking since Christmas has decided to work at this moment in time. And so I have some stuff going on right here that I've been trying to get broken up for, for a couple of days. And so I have a little bottle of water, and there might be different type of sound effects this morning to the sermon from time to time. I'm hoping not, but nonetheless, that's, that's where we are anyway. I um, also want to let you know that by the next time you see me uh, in this setting, I'll be in my 20s. That's right, and it feels good, feels good. So come January 27th, I'm in my 20s, that's my birthday, my 20s, you know, in the middle of the year, I'll be in my 20s. Next year, I'll still be in my 20s. It's a great, young, sort of feeling, sort of thing to happen to be back in your 20s, and they said it couldn't happen, but it's happened, right? So all the ladies, next Sunday, you need to come with big dresses on, you know, those big ones, the 20s. Well, you know, obviously I'm a woman and I keep up with that sort of stuff. I thought that was the, the moment of the big band dancing. No, that's not the 20s. Flapper, flapper. Yeah, and I know exactly what that means. It flaps up and down. You know what that means, Nathan? Flapper? Flapper dresses? I can't say I've ever worn one. I probably have seen one. I just don't know what it is, is necessarily. Um, guys, we... We have it kind of easy. It's suit and tie, right? It's just suit and tie every, every century. Suit and tie, little black tie kind of deal. So, okay, I'll move on. All right, this morning is uh, Dwell. It's our last one in the series. And um, when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to, on Christmas Eve, we used to go to um, Reedsville, North Carolina. And that's the brand side of the family would have Christmas. And then we'd travel from Reedsville to the back, or through the back roads, which I thought was really cool, all the way to Burlington, and go to my Aunt Liddy's house. And there was Brondrick stew and chicken stew and all kinds of stew. And um, then we'd open presents there. That was really kind of cool. And about 11.30 at night, we'd leave Burlington and travel back to Greensboro, where I grew up, Colfax, North Carolina. And um, we'd, we'd go to bed, and, and you know, that, that was the sort of thing that we would do. When we would leave um, Aunt Liddy's house, I would look out the car window because I was looking for reindeer. And in my mind, I thought I could actually see one, you know, if I could just see the red nose. Like if I could just see something red in the sky, going through the sky, I thought, man, I could really, I could really see where Santa is, right? There was a couple of times that I thought I'd saw a red dot in the, in the sky and probably did actually see a red dot, 
um, it wasn't Rudolph, but it was a red dot going through the sky. But I didn't want it to be an airplane, so I wanted it to be Rudolph. So I would get home, and especially if I'd seen a red dot on the way home, I would go right to bed, and I would go to sleep because I couldn't wait for Santa to get there, put out all the gifts, and for myself to get up, right? And so um, that meant that uh, I was probably in bed by 1 a.m. on Christmas morning, and I was up by 3. So Santa had a two-hour window to get whatever he needed to get done done. There was one year I had asked Santa for a, um, for, for a train set, and I was really excited about this train set. I always wanted one, really wanted it. And I woke up, I remember waking up, we lived in a little trailer at that time, and I, I, my room was a closet, literally a closet in the trailer. So I was in the bunk beds, and I was on the bottom, and I, was, I woke up, and, and I thought, I wonder if he's, he's come. Well, in the, in the living room, because if you've ever lived in a trailer, you can hear everything that happens in the trailer. Like, all, it doesn't matter where you are, you know what's going on all over the trailer, right? So I heard, I heard the train going, and I heard, ho, 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 ho. Oh, and I just went right back to sleep. Closed my eyes and just went right back to sleep. And it took me a couple minutes to kind of get into that position. But then, but then inside of me while I was sleeping, I couldn't wait to get up and play with that train. And so you were, you were like waiting because you were expecting something, right? So the next morning I woke up, went out, played with the train, and it, it was just a fun time. Has anybody ever during Christmas time when you were a kid had that sort of experience where you really wanted something, you were waiting on it, couldn't wait, couldn't wait, couldn't wait, and you finally got it? Raise your hand. Yeah, it was like an expecting. And it gives you a kind of an energy, right? Because you're waiting for that particular gift, you're waiting for that particular moment, and you're waiting to get there um, and actually experience it. Sometimes, though, you wait, 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 and then you wake up that morning and you don't get anything, right, that, that you really asked for. There was one year, I think I was six or seven, can't remember which one, but all all my mom's side of the family, they gave me socks and underwear. Every gift was socks and underwear. Because my mom and her family grew up in a time where at Christmas time, you got people what they needed, not what they wanted. So, so I got all these socks and underwear. And I was pretty sad as a kid getting socks and underwear every single gift. I had counted the socks at one point in life. The very next Christmas, I got a bunch of toys from these people. Because I think they saw, oh, oh, come on. They saw that I was kind of sad with socks and underwear, which I don't know if you know this or not, but when you're a boy and, and you've got your family around you and there's like 50,000 cousins because my mom's family had nine, nine brothers and sisters, so there's all these little people that you're playing with and you're opening up underwear as a boy, that is not a, a, a moment that you want to remember, Right? Socks are fine, but underwear, you're like, oh, you know, because that's, that's kind of a, a private, private thing, at least when you're six years old. Anyway, you wait, and sometimes you're disappointed, right? So sometimes we wait on stuff, and we're really excited because we know we're going to get it, and then we get it, and then we're really excited about it, and we, we kind of experience it. And then there's other times that we wait for something, but it doesn't happen, and we get sort of disappointed about it. I would submit to you this morning that we spend our entire lives waiting on something. Whether it's waiting on the next meal, 
which we're Baptist, and we wait on the next meal, or whether it's waiting to go visit someone, or whether it's waiting to renew your license, or whether it's waiting to get married, or whether it's waiting for that child to come so that you can hold them, or you're waiting for the next car, you're waiting for the next job, you're waiting for something. We spend a lot of time waiting on a lot of of things. It is said that good things come to those that wait, right? What we often don't put on the flip side of that is you can miss the good stuff if you wait too long. So there's a sense in which you can wait too long or not wait enough, long enough, right? So good things come to those that wait, but you can miss the good things if you wait too long. Now, a little marker. Put this one down here. I'll use white one. All right, so here is a box, right? And this box represents all the people in the world. All the people are in this box, okay? The reason we're in this box is because this is a material realm, and outside of this is spiritual. And the spiritual realm is much bigger, space-wise, than the material realm. And so what you have is you have people that are born, right? Let's see. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. All right. Like how I did that? called planning. So you, you have people that are born. So these boxes don't necessarily represent people as much as they do people groups. So in scripture, you would have tribes and tongues represented. They're people boxes and people groups, right? I'm going to draw lines like this and lines like this represent all the different people groups. So this would be a tribe, a, a personal a type of tribe of people. This would be a particular type of people. What, what this side of this line often does, though, is it creates different type of people groups within the people groups because we mix match. So this person over here will marry this person over here, which creates a different person right here or even a new breed of person right here. So, so new tribes can be formed from this person and this person. The problem with this is that these tribes remain very small, and within inside of them, they get smaller. Not the problem. This is what happens. It's not a problem. And they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so you have tribes and tongues and, and things like this. There is only one special tribe in all the Bible, and that is Israel. The Bible will call these tribes, tongues, and nations. That would be their people group. That would be who they are. But the Bible will always refer to these 12 as Israel. But within Israel, there would be 12 tribes. You would have the tribe of Judah, right? And you'd have the tribe of Benjamin, 
And then you would have all the other uh, tribes. And so you have all these tribes that, that were right here. Um, what happened over the course of time, however, is that the tribe of Israel, who was supposed to be on top of every other nation, supposed to be the blessed tribe, the blessed race, the blessed whatever of every single nation, um, what would happen over time is these people would sin and God would flip this chart. So the tribes would fall. In fact, 10 of these tribes, all of these fell and were like totally wiped out because of sin, which left Judah and Benjamin. Now, I know, I know there's remnants, but go with me. And so this whole system right here was, was upset. So by the time of Jesus Christ, it was the Romans that gained the top of the list. And they were over all of these tribes and tongues. I do think it's interesting that in, in Scripture, color is never used to identify a tribe. I want to I let that soak in. I, took, I take the census. Do you take the census? It comes to your house, you know, you check these boxes. Every year, you know, you have white, you have black, and then you have, you know, Mexican, and then you have, well, Latino, and then you have, you know, all these other countries, right? And then you have other. Every time I've taken the census, I've checked other. <laughs> Every single time. Because white isn't a race, and neither is black, and neither is brown. I know red and yellow, black and white, they're precious. Okay, that's not a race. It's not a race. So what happens when you do that is awesome, the government sends somebody to your house to ring your doorbell to see what that other is. <laughs> they do. And every time the conversation goes, I open the door, the lady says, um, oh, you, yeah. Um, I'm from the Census Bureau. Um, do, you, do you own this house? And I'll say, yeah, I do, I do own this house. Did you fill out the census and check other? I said, yeah. Because white isn't a race. And they will look at me like I'm crazy, close the door, and then check white. That's what they'll do. They'll do. But I'm here to submit to you this morning that the Bible never calls a race a color. It can't be. Do you know that in, in, in China alone, there are thousands of different races with the same color of people? Do you realize that? And like the black community, it, it's, it's interesting to me that the black community, some of them will say, I'm an African-American. I don't know if they know this or not, but Africa is a whole continent. It's not even a country. So you have Egyptians and you have different races all the way through, right? You just went to Africa and there's a different race of people down there than, than other people. There's just different races and different tribes. And I think as Christians, we need to look at people like God looks at them. They're different tribes, and they're all created differently. And to be honest with you about this whole deal, um, we all come from one race, all of us, Noah. And then it splits off to Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and then it goes from there. So when I see someone from Mexico, what I see is that that used to be a part of my heritage. It did. Somewhere in the back, whatever they do and however they're kind of different than me, 
used to be a part of the one human that I come from. Is everybody tracking with me? And it's extremely interesting. It's interesting to see somebody that's different than you from another tribe and how they live and how they think and how they operate and how they put things together. It's absolutely incredible. It is absolutely incredible. So all that to say, tribes, tongues, and nations, there's colors involved, but the colors are not the races. The colors have nothing to do with it. It is the tribe, the families they come from, and their progression down that is important. And Israel being the one that is on top. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Okay, is anybody else hot? Okay, because you know, didn't know if I was starting to get a temperature, if you know what was going on. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And that is the sound of heaven. (laughs) How many of you have ever played Risk? Yeah. It's a world domination game. You do it with dice. You try to take over the world. I just wanted to know how many of you have done that. Um, Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. Now, let me explain to you who Simeon is. Simeon is an old guy. He's been waiting on the Messiah to come, and he's been told that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. So this is Simeon. And Simeon, he's also a a priest in the temple. A Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a son that is opposed. So here is Simeon. He's an old guy. He's been waiting for what's called the consolation of Israel. We'll get into that in a moment. He finally sees Jesus. He's holding him in his arms, and he tells his mother that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. There's all kinds of stuff happening up here this morning. He's he's here for the fall and rise. Now, What has fallen, or who has fallen, and who has risen in our story so far in this series? Number one, Herod, who's on top of the world, has fallen. He's sinful, he's fallen, he has died. Not at this point in the story, but in the Christ story, he dies. Who has risen? Zacharias. Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. He has risen. Mary has been chosen as a woman that's from humble means to birth the Christ child. If anybody has ever risen because of Jesus Christ, it is Mary and Joseph and parenting Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Right? And so as the story goes on, other people that have fallen is like Judas, right? Judas betrayed Jesus and Judas 
fell. So the fall and rise of many. Who has risen? Um, Peter, who was a fisherman. He was chosen by God to follow, to follow Jesus, and he has risen. So when it says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, he's talking about these individuals that were up here on top that have fallen, and the ones that are chosen here that have risen to the top because of Jesus and his call on their life. The fall and rising of many in Israel. So here's my question to you this morning. Which side are you currently living on? Are you on the side of falling because of Jesus? Are you, are you on the side of rising because of Jesus? Are you one that has embraced Jesus and all that he means and asked him to be your savior and are following him at 100% with 100% of your ability, thus you are rising? Or are you one that reject the savior, reject his word and everything that it says, and you are now on a downward slope and you are falling. You see, Jesus is a sign that is going to be opposed. There are gonna be people that are on top, Herod, that don't like Jesus and they're gonna to try to get rid of him and they're gonna say that isn't right, that doesn't fit our culture. It is not the times and he doesn't fit the times and they're gonna reject, 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 reject and they are going to fall. And it's the people like Mary, it's the people like Simeon that say this is Jesus, this is what he says, this is how I'm gonna live that are going to rise. Are you tracking? It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the person that is going to be opposed. If you look at verse 32 and what Simeon says about Jesus, let's just, he says that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. What he understands about the constellation of Israel, which not many people in the Jewish Jewish community understood is that Jesus is not only coming back to help Israel, he's really coming back to help the entire world and bring them to light. And that is a good thing. You see, there's some people in the Jewish, in the Jewish arena during this time period that thought that the Messiah was coming back just to free the Israel's, Israelites from Roman rule so that they could be back on top. And that was all he was gonna do. There was a lot of Jews that thought that about the Messiah. But Jesus came, and Simeon knew this, with a more global perspective. He's coming to shine a light on the whole world and all the people and all the tongues and every single nation. He wants to draw them out and bring them to him. Now, what happens when you and I turn a light on in a room? Dark, well, darkness flees, but what does that light create? Shadows. The shadows always are there to oppose the light. So when Jesus comes and he's shining a bright light on the nations, there are still going to be shadows that oppose him. But shadows are always lower than the light. A shadow cannot rise above the light. It can cover the light just like I just did, and put a shadow on my face, but it cannot 
be over the light. It cannot stop the light from shining. It can only create a shadow and prevent the light from coming through, but it also has to have an object. The rise and fall of many has to do with light. You're either living in the shadows and falling down into them, or you're living in the light of God's grace, and you're allowing him to shine his light upon you. Which side are you on? Simeon says the rise and fall of many. So how do we make sure that we are on the side that is rising? How do we make sure that we are there? Step number one, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, begin a personal relationship with him. He died on the cross of Calvary for your sins. He rose the third day so that you might have life. You cannot rise without a salvational experience. You cannot rise unless you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and ask him and have asked him to be your savior. You can't live in the light unless you have done that. You can't. It's absolutely impossible. So if, you, if you've done that and you're a Christian, what, what else do you need to make sure so that you're living in the light and not a Christian that has decided to live in the shadows? Well, I submit to you this morning that you have to fix your eyes on something greater than yourself, something bigger than yourself, something bigger than us. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem who named, whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here is Simeon that is in the temple. He's there because he loves God, but he's also there because he's waiting on something bigger than himself. He's waiting on something bigger than Israel. He's waiting on something that's bigger than the Roman government. He's waiting on something that's bigger than any tribe, any tongue, any nation in the entire world. He is waiting on the Messiah, which is the consolation of Israel. And this is what he knows about that. Jesus is going to come in and save all of this. It's not just Israel he's going to save. It's not just the Romans he's going to dethrone. He's going to save it all. I wish Jesus Christ was running in 2020. If Jesus Christ came and ran a campaign, I would join that campaign and promote him to the utmost degree. Because Jesus, out of everybody that we know, has the right perspective on people. People need to be saved because they're lost in sin. People need to have him mold their life into something better than anything the human race can offer. Jesus can step in and do all of that and bring in a righteousness and a holiness to the world that we can't even imagine. Here is Simeon, and he's thinking, the hope of the world is not in the next political king that's going to take Herod's place. It's not in the next group of people that's going to conquer our particular city or nation. The hope for the entire world is in the Messiah and him redeeming the world to himself. Come on, church. Jesus, if Simeon was living here, he would agree with me. Jesus was running in 2020, 
sign me up. I will even work the ballot box. And anybody that votes for anybody else, bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. Jesus, the consolation of Israel. So you have to have a bigger vision. Look at verse 29, and we'll see that. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation is the salvation of the world. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. This salvation is for all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. He got it. A lot of Jews hated the Gentiles. Simeon understood that Jesus was coming for the Gentiles. And then he says, for your, and for glory to your people Israel, who is here. Israel's glory is because of God's choosing them and not because of the people. So it all has to do with God. It all has to do with his plan. And if you and I are going to be on the side of rising rather than falling, we have to look beyond ourselves as to what God is actually doing in the world. We have to see it with our eyes. We have to believe that he is going to redeem the world, save the world, and come back and correct all the world's problems. He has promised to do so. And if he kept his promise the first time, he is going to keep his promise the second time. And I am looking forward to that. So on the side of rising, salvation, have to be saved. Second, you have to fix your eyes on something bigger than you. And next, it takes a wee bit of what I like to call devotion. To be on the side of rising, you have to be devoted. Check verse 25 out of this passage. It says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. You see, devotion here is your attitude toward God and what he wants you to do. Your devotion, if you're going to be on the side of rising, is to do what he has asked you to do in your life. Your side of devotion is really, and I, I know we could have a discussion about this, is really I am going to be in God's house on Sunday to worship him and learn more about his word. And I'm devoted to do that. That is a high devotion for me. And that is what I am going to do. Because there's something, there's something bigger going on than anything else that is happening in my life. And I want to be a part of that. And so I'm going to be devoted to that. I'm going to worship the God that allowed me to breathe this morning and come here. I'm going to worship the God that keeps me alive and, and provides for my needs and has saved my soul. I am going to do that, and I'm going to be devoted to him and his purpose for my life. Simeon was devoted to God. He had a great relationship between his Savior and himself, a great relationship. And so you have to be devoted to be on the side of rising. If you are not devoted, you will fall. You will fall. My daughter, can't remember the whole conversation, didn't even ask permission to tell this, honestly. But my daughter this week said something. She said, um, 
when you start exercising, they always talk about exercising around me for some reason, as if that's going to be something I do. Um, so they talk about this exercising thing, and she said that the first like 30, 60 days that you're exercising, it's, it, it's really tough. It's hard on your body. It's hard on, it's hard on your physique. But once you get past the 60 days, you feel great. And in fact, if you miss a day, you, you don't feel good, but you get right back into it and you, and you feel really good once you, you get there. All I know is I feel good all the time, okay? But she says that if you go through this pain and you get to this side, you'll feel good. And then you have to be devoted to keeping that up. Like if you backtrack, you, you will fall back. What I think is interesting about that is this. In order to be in good shape, you have to be devoted to a regiment, a, a gym, a video, you know, one of those aerobic videos. Yeah. There's a reason I don't do those. Not coordinated and don't want to wind up on Facebook. So you, you have to have a regiment. My daughter... My daughter does this video thing, and then she does this weight thing, and then she has a punching bag out back. And I'm saying that for any guy that wants to date her. (laughs) So she does this little punch, and she has great technique. Now, I can't do the technique, but I know it's better than mine, right? And she runs around the neighborhood, like runs around the neighborhood, right? Runs around the neighborhood. And she does all of this to keep, keep her body going and keep herself in shape. So she does this. There's a regiment that she's devoted to. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you this morning that she could not be where she is physically unless she had been devoted to get there. You cannot follow Jesus effectively unless you are devoted to get there. Now, whereas I do not necessarily exercise, right? It's... Maybe it's not obvious, I'll wear these shirts. But you, you've got, you, where it's not obvious that I do that, here is what is obvious. I'm devoted to prayer, I'm devoted to reading the word, I'm devoted to being here on Sunday. I'm devoted to giving out the gospel, I'm devoted to doing what Jesus wants me to do. I'm devoted to proclaim his word even when I don't agree with his word. God never asked me to agree with it. He asked me to believe it and proclaim it. I think our churches need to get back to that. So you're devoted even though you don't understand and you work on it and you work on it and you pray and you ask forgiveness and you continue to go because this is what I know. You cannot rise and become more like Jesus unless you're devoted to it and you're working on it. This has nothing to do with salvation. You can be saved at any state that you are in. Any state. It has nothing to do with salvation. This has everything to do with spiritual health, spiritual awareness, knowing who God is, and following him to the best of your ability. You have to work out in order to get here. If you do not, you automatically go back to this, this, this stage, Right? right? If you do nothing, you become like me, physically. Weak, but have a weapon. 
So you've got, you've got this weak, weak state that you become in, and you just get weaker and weaker and weaker when you're not devoted. So Simeon, in order to rise, you have to be devoted, and Simeon was devoted. I want you to notice something else about this whole rising thing. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now, righteous has many definitions in Scripture. I'm not going to give you all those to compare them, but I'm going to tell you what this righteous means. This particular word righteous here in the context of this scripture means that he treated people correctly. So he was devoted to God and had everything holiness-wise correct with God. So that's already there, sanctified, whatever you want to call it. But he was righteous toward people. And he wasn't only righteous toward the people he liked, he was also righteous toward the people he didn't like. I am really sure that Simeon wasn't really happy that the Roman government had taken over his country. How can I say that? Because if somebody invaded the United States of America, I would not be happy about it. Now, you might be. I don't know, but I wouldn't be happy about that. I would not think of them as my friend, right? If somebody invaded, come on, people. If somebody invaded this country, they would not be your friends. They would not be looking out for your best interest. I'm just saying, they're invading, they're after you. Here's a guy that had been invaded And he still treated people the right way, even his enemies. Now, you and I have people that we don't like. Some of them are in our family. Some of them might even be our mother-in-law. Some of them might be our brother-in-law. Someone might be our our sister-in-law. Some of them might even be a blood relative of ours that we just do not like. If you're going to be on the rise, you have to treat people that you do not like righteously in the right way. Come on. That means when you want to strangle them to death, you don't do it. When you want to yell at them and lose your temper, you don't do it. You can stand as light and stand for what is right without getting overly angry about it, without yelling, without being violent, without whatever. You can stand for what's right and treat people correctly when they're doing something wrong that you don't like. You can do that. And if you're going to be on the side of rising, the many that rise on Jesus' side, you're going to have to treat all people correctly all people correctly. This is not to say that you do not say, um, Bob over here, he's my enemy, and I recognize that. And he isn't for me at all. And I'm gonna keep that in mind. It's not that you don't do that. You, you do do that. You, you keep that in mind. That's what, that's what you do. But if Bob was on the side of the road and needed assistance, the righteous man 
will stop and help him, even though that's his enemy. Jesus says, love your enemies. And that means you stop and you help that individual. Because they're about, they're a part of the entire network of tribes and nations that God has created. There are people that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came and died for. So whereas you would say, that's my enemy, and I'm not inviting him over for Christmas Eve to my house to be with my family, that's fine. But if he is in need on the side of the road and you're the only one around, or you see him and he is in need, you stop and you give him your coat. You give him what he needs so that he can survive for another day. That is tough, isn't it? Because we're good with salvation, right? Right? Okay, maybe you're not. I could go into another. Are you good with salvation? Yeah. Are you good with the bigger scope of what God is doing in the world, a constellation of Israel? You good with that? So we're rising, right? Are you good? We're really good with being devoted, whether or not, We are doing it or not doing it. We're probably convicted about that either way. We want to be devoted to Jesus, right? So so that's kind of an easy thing. But when we get to this little righteousness thing that I need to treat people right, there's a little resistance to that, a little resistance. But God requires it. Why does he require it? Because what he is trying to do is bigger than your petty little argument with that person. Your mere love for that person in that moment could be the very thing that pushes them towards salvation and a life of eternity with Jesus. It's not about your little argument. It's about something bigger. I would submit to you today, your arguments and your disagreements with people would take on a total different look to you if you had the correct view of what God is doing in the world. They just become very small and insignificant in the light of what God's doing in the world. Um, So, All right, I need a group of people, okay? I need people with Bibles. Let me see how many people I need. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve people with Bibles. Who can? Brad, you got a Bible? You have one? Um, I, know, I know Brian does. Anybody else? Yeah, come on up. You got it. John, one, two, three, four, five, come on up. Thomas, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on up. It can be women. No big deal. By the way, women can read. So if you're a lady, you want to do it? Yeah. Tracy. Okay. Yeah. Just stand up here. Just stand all the way across right here. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Good. Come on up. Come on up, Roger. 
All right, so this is what I want you to do. Thomas, I want you to, at the opportune moment, I'm going to point to you, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 63. Luke chapter 2, verse 18. Luke chapter 2, verse 47. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. Got it? Luke chapter 4, verse 36. Luke chapter 5, verse 9. She is old. Luke chapter 8, verse 25. No, we're the same age. Eight. The next time you see me, I'll be in my 20s. Luke chapter 9, verse 40. Did I give you Luke chapter 9, verse 43? I lost my place because of the old people get distracted. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 43. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Luke chapter 11, verse 38. Verse 38. Um, Luke chapter 20, verse 26. And Luke chapter 24, verse 12. Okay? Now. Yeah, Luke 5, it's Luke 5, 9. Yeah, welcome to my house. If you say something three years ago, they remember it too. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 33. Dad, do you remember when you said no? All right, so, so here's Mary and Joseph. Simeon is going to say this. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, the light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Him is always Jesus. Marveled, was amazed. Okay? Was amazed. Okay? So, read your scripture. Good. Next one. And all who were there wondering at what the shepherds told them. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That mic does not work. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words of Jesus. Then they said, This is the word of the Lord. Everyone was stunned. They said to one another, What kind of command is this? With authority and power. said unto them, Word was made, and they being afraid marveled, saying one to another, What manner of man is this that he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obeyed him. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything Jesus did, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, Um, 38. 38. You're good. 
Oh, hold on, before you do. Have you noticed something? So you've got amazement, amazement, all the way through. And the amazements are different. You have amazements over what he's saying, demons, who he's healed, what he is doing. You have amazement over he has stopped a storm by just speaking to it. So all these people are amazing and through are amazed. And through this whole book, it's amazed, 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 amazed. And this amazement builds to this moment right here. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The empty tomb. Absolutely amazed. So, down here, you have Simeon. Do you know how many people actually held Jesus in their arms? We know of three. Joseph, Mary, and Simeon. He, he held the person that created him in his arms. He held the Messiah in his arms. He held the God, the Holy One, the Lamb of God in his arms and was amazed. But that's not the greatest thing. Then we have this amazement, then what he says, and casting out demons. These people were seeing this stuff. He sees people risen from the dead, and the people are amazed. All the way down through to he didn't wash his hands, and they were amazed at what he wasn't doing according to the law, which was astounding to them. All the way to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were absolutely amazed. Do you know the one thing that will help you remain devoted to God and treating people correctly? It's when you are amazed with that God. Come on, church. When is the last time you were amazed? Amazed at what he's doing in your life. Amazed at how he has written scripture 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and it's still speaking to your heart today. When is the last time that you were amazed reading through Scripture that you were like, you know, this is different than this book over here because this feels a little bit different because it's speaking to my very soul. When was the last time that you were just amazed that Jesus saved you? Amazement. Is what is the difference. Amazement with God is the difference between someone that is falling who could care less and someone that is rising because they're still continually amazed with Jesus. And let me tell you something. As amazing as the empty tomb is, it is nothing compared to what is coming. There is a world coming that is more amazing than a cross it's more amazing than an empty tomb. It is the place where God dwells and we worship him forever. If you've ever asked the question, how in the world can we worship God forever in heaven? That is because you have gotten tired of our attempts to worship him here. 
come on. There's some songs that you're like, are they really going to repeat that chorus one more time? Can we just sing a hymn? Because at least I know when those are over. <laughs> one, three, four, we're done. It's good. Our attempts to worship now and all our music that we're singing is fallen. It's the best attempts that we have. It's the best that we can do. When we get to heaven, our mere amazement, the way that we're worshiping, will keep us going for an eternity. Come on, church. Have you ever wondered why the people around the throne keep saying, holy, 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 and that's all they sing? Because they're constantly amazed at what they're circling. Holy, 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 and it never gets old. The moment that your faith gets old is the moment you've lost your amazement. Get your amazement back and that will send you back on the path to rise with Jesus again. Amen? Amen. All right, give these guys a hand.